plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our informational playground at Star Style. Be the star you are. We are brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And I am your host, Cynthia Bryan. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, Voice America Network. So today we have a wonderful show for you, a lot of information coming up in segment two. I bet you didn't know that about the first woman who ran for U.S. president in 1868. So we have a debut novel by Carrie Hayes. She'll be coming on. And it's interesting because the challenges the United States is wrestling with today are the same challenges the country faced about 150 years ago. So, you know, want to tune in for that. Um, How can you help your kids become financially literate? Well, the sooner you teach your kids about money, budgeting, investing, and saving, the more successful they'll be. And so we're going to have some tips that will introduce the value of money management from toddlers to adults, as well as we'll talk about um, some emergency hacks because things happen, especially it's summer. If, if you get, you know, bit by a jellyfish or get poison oak or break an arm, do you know how to take care of yourself quickly? So we're going to give you a few of those. But before I do, I want to give you the miracle moment for today. It's by Carl Jung. He who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakens. And before I actually get to what I had planned to talk about today, I have a rant. And since I have this platform of radio, I decided today is my rant. So I, (laughs) I kind of find it my duty to provide this personal experience to you regarding COVID 19 pandemic and what has happened in my own family. So last week, one of my husband's assistants, who was only 21 years old, became ill and was sent home, um, subsequently tested positive for COVID, which ended up here. We're in California, Northern California. This meant that my husband's office had to immediately close after only being reopened for a month. All employees, plus everyone in their household, had to be tested for COVID and have to cease working. This did not make family members happy. Many of these people live in multi-generational homes, you know, with parents, grandparents, uh, as well as little kids. And those all who had jobs, they had to stop their jobs until they could test negative. Now, I had to be tested as well because obviously I live with my um, with my husband. And the scary thing is, is that for me, I'm working from home anyway. So quarantining for me was not an issue. But for many of the family members of these employees, they were so upset because some of them have two main jobs and their bosses told them they cannot come to work until they get a negative test. Now, 
at my husband's office, every personal protection equipment has been employed. There's masks and shields and gowns and temperature taking and hand washing and sanitizing and special filters, air filters and social distancing and glass between two people. But an employer can only control what an employee does in his or her um, time at work. They can't uh, control what they do at home. So when one person contracts the disease, it can exponentially affect hundreds or even thousands of people. So one person can cause the cessation of work and loss of salary and the infection or maybe even death if it's an older person. So in this case, every person with, um, who had contact with the, with the infected COVID-19 person had to be contacted. The county gets involved. They do contact tracing. There were numerous phone calls to my husband, a lot of paperwork that had to be filled out. And the scary part is that there isn't any rapid testing at the moment in Northern California or in our area because the labs are so backed up with testing. And we were told it could take anywhere from five to 14 days for results. Now that's crazy, 14 days. I mean, that is supposedly the amount of time that you would have to quarantine anyway. Now in that time, if people aren't quarantining, just think about the amount of people that they could be infecting. Now in the past two weeks here in California, the average death toll has been 138 people. California has a mandate that masks must be worn when not sheltering at home, yet so many people are failing to heed the law, and more cities and more counties are now enforcing the mandate, and I I don't know what they're doing with it, but I guess they're giving tickets out. Some places like Laguna Beach have hired outside resources to enforce this mask wearing. The power and the potency of wearing a mask can't be overemphasized. Wearing a mask is not a political gesture. Uh, COVID-19 doesn't care what political party you support or what your race or your ethnicity or your religion or your beliefs or where you live or how old you are. Uh, It doesn't really matter. In fact, um, now almost 30% of people who are testing positive are in the 18 to 29-year-old range. So it strikes anyone and it strikes everyone. In Kern County, which is in California, 25% of the population who have been tested, they all tested positive. That's really big when an average should be somewhere in the 4 to 7%. So we have to stop listening to the politicians who are saying it's getting better. We have to start listening to evidence-based scientists and healthcare professionals who are truly on a front line. And we just have to learn to wear a mask wear gloves if you can, social distance, wash your hands, minimize mixing, especially indoors, um, or as our governor is telling us, just refrain from indoor engagements, minimize outdoor activities, just have smaller amounts of people. Because wearing a mask is not about your civil rights. Wearing a mask is about protecting you, your loved ones, and the larger effort in the community, the counties, the state, and the world. It took six months for the world to get to 10 million cases. It took six weeks to, for it to go over 20 million. So we are going up. We're not going down. The United States Brazil and India are the worst offenders. We have the most cases and the most deaths. 
And of course, we all want our economy to reopen and to reopen robustly. We want our kids to be able to go to back to school. But if we have to keep shuttering the businesses because one employee gets sick, uh, we're never going to get back to something called normal. And this is what's happened to us this past week. The businesses had to be closed down. Everybody contacted. Um, and it depends what business you're in. A lot of people can't work from home. And if you're, you know, a, a medical professional, you're not going to be able to work from home and take care of your patients. So we can't tell who has the virus. Some people, both young and old, um, they could be asymptomatic. Some could get mildly sick, some could get deathly sick, and some are going to die. But as my doctor said to me, do you want the responsibility for giving the virus to others, maybe even to your parents, your grandparents, and maybe causing them to die? So I just got my test back um, uh, yesterday. And my husband and I are both negative, and fortunately, the rest of his staff is negative. However, his business is still closed, and um, the, the employee cannot come back to work until a negative uh, test has been done. And uh, it's the same with all the extended family, the friends, the other coworkers, the other businesses. They're still waiting on tests. So please, everyone, wear a mask. We all have that responsibility to one another. I mean, wear a mask when you're out. I mean, the life you save could be of someone you love. And of course, it could be of yourself. So just wear a mask. I have to tell you, this has been a really tough experience. All right. When disaster strikes, I just want to give you a few hacks because um, all of us really, I think most people enjoy outdoor activities and this is the time that we go camping and hiking, but you know, mistakes happen and accidents happen. So what do you do? So let's start with poison ivy, poison oak, sumac. I mean, do you know how to prevent it? What are the best things to do if you get in it? I am really, really allergic to poison oak. So, um, soap and water can do the trick. But it's uh, as long as the soap contains a degreasing agent like a dishwashing liquid. Rubbing alcohol can also remove that urushol. So carry alcohol wipes if you're going to go camping or hiking. And um, avoid scrubbing. And don't just rinse your skin with water because that could actually spread it around. Now, what if uh, you're out hiking and maybe you break your arm or you, you cut yourself and you need a tourniquet? You need to use something that's wide. Apply a wrap a few inches above your wound, never on a joint. Tie half of the knot and then place a sturdy object like a stick across it and then finish the knot. That's like a lass, and you use that to screw the tourniquet down uh, tight enough to stop the bleeding and uh, it's going to really hurt no matter, but then you want to get some help. Now, if you get a blister while you're hiking, you should pop it because, and then bandage it up. You don't want to add like petroleum jelly or lotion. That's not going to help. You want to prevent pain and trouble by puncturing the blister first, drain the liquid, and then uh, leave that blister's roof intact and then bandage, bandage it to avoid anything worse than that. Now, what about if you're in the ocean and you get stung by a, a jellyfish? 
Um, that's happened to me many times. Some people just think if you urinate on it, it's going to be fine, but that's not true. It's your, your urine isn't going to be acidic enough. Uh, vinegar is the best thing. So if you can carry some vinegar with you when you go to the ocean and then afterwards immerse the wound in hot water, you're going to be much, much better. If you get caught in a riptide or a rip current, don't try to fight it. Swim parallel to the shore. And you might get off course, but you will eventually get back to the shore. So make sure that that is the, um, that's the thing that you take. Now, what about a thunderstorm? If it pipes, pops up while you're hiking or camping, um, you don't want to shelter under a tree. I mean, lightning is attracted to the tallest object, and your instinct might be just to take cover. But if you, there's a cliff, you want to go way back in so that you don't channel the strike. But the best move is to stay in the open, keep your feet together, crouch down, wrap your arms around your knees, if you have a foam pad or if you get tennis shoes, keep those on. Um, and if, if you can double back to your car and you have time, that is the best thing to do. All right. Well, when we come back to break, we're going to talk about the first woman president who, um, I mean, the first woman who ran for president and author Carrie Hayes with her book, Naked Truth or Equality, the Forbidden Fruit. It's really an interesting novel with some facts you probably don't know. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. And again, wear a mask, everybody. I don't want you to go through what I just did. Back in a bit. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is called. Well, the party is beginning. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. 
Uh, my guest for today is Carrie Hayes. She has written this really incredible novel called Naked Truth or Equality, the Forbidden Fruit. She says that she has done a lot of things over the years from selling vacuum cleaners and newies <laughs> and sofas. I had to laugh at that. She's lived at the beach. Oh, I love that. Lived in Europe. Love that, too. She's taught school, worked in film. And now she's writing or she wrote this book that it has. it's a historical novel based on truth. And I got to tell you, I have no idea which part is truth and which is Fiction, welcome, Carrie Hayes. Just thank you, Cynthia. You are. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I I, this was really a great, um, a really fun romp through 1868. I'm a history major. I really love history. And although I had heard of these, uh, this family, um, you put an incredible spin on it. And as Kirkus said, the Kirkus Review said that they didn't know where history ends and fiction begins. I, this is what I want to find out while we're talking to you because, right. boy, this was delicious. That was really delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start, first of all, um, let's start with tell us what spiritualists were then what what did that mean because the family were considered these spiritualists but in reality they were kind of con artists right i I, well i I, you know i i have my own doubts about spiritualism and making money because you know if it's a profession you have to be able to call upon it at will and like love how how often can you do that you know, or it's like having a super talented child, you know, any kid can sing if they have the the volition to do it. But, um, you know, to have them do it on demand is a very different, different deal. Yeah, so the bottom line is, is that spiritualism is not a superpower. It was it's a paid it's a paid to play. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, what's so interesting is I, I do believe and, and my characters do have a spiritualist element to them, ultimately. But um that everybody is gifted with a sort of like very um, uh, exceptional intuition, a gift of a very powerful intuition. And um, and you know how people can communicate without talking and, and almost be mind readers and that kind of a thing. I think that that is a gift and a quality that many, many people have. And uh, during the Civil War, when all these people were dying, you know, all these young men were being killed and it was just such a catastrophe, the, the palpable anguish of the families that are left behind and the need to make some kind of sense of it was just like a really ripe opportunity for this whole spiritual, spiritualism movement to take off. And what's so interesting about it is that it's women who really were front and center of the spiritualist movement. So while they may have been making it up and being charlatans, um, they were also able to talk about their own agenda and sexual equality Mm -hmm. and equal rights while they were allegedly under a spell or under a trance and things like that. So it was a very, um, I guess the word is fecund, right? It's like super ripe uh, time of possibility. And change. So, so we're going to be talking about the the Claflin family, and yeah. you indicated that as soon as you read about uh, Victoria and yeah. Tennessee, you immediately felt a connection because you their family of 
you know, cons and tricksters yeah. reminded you of your mom. So I'm what sure. was the similarity there? <laughs> so that was, that just caught me off guard. It was like, okay, it's well, my mom. Talk about history. <laughs> yeah. My mother was from Hollywood, California and uh, her mother was an actor and my mother's sister was an actor and my mother's brothers were actors and oh um, they were absolutely all one of a kind characters. Everyone was very much into their own thing. Um, my, my late aunt was a double for Ginger Rogers and would do the more difficult dance moves that Ginger Rogers didn't want to hurt her feet or like risk twisting an ankle doing on camera. And uh, she had affairs with all kinds of guys and, and <laughs> sad life. And then, and then my, my grandmother, when the kids were growing up, she was a single mother, even though she was married four times and once to a guy who was already married. That's very Hollywood, isn't it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, they would have to leave in the night um, wearing all of their clothes so that the landlord wouldn't know that they, they ran out on the rent. Oh, yes. Oh. You know, and, and so there was all these, these aspects uh, to them that was just very like carny kind of spirit. And um, um, what was sort of interesting, though, about my mother was that she was completely self-invented. She had no education to speak of. But when my dad went to graduate school at Harvard, my mother would just, you know, drop in and drop out of courses and, and audit things and learn what she wanted to learn about some aspect of history or, you know, ancient Whatever. Chinese mm -hmm. porcelain. And she was completely refined and uh, very ladylike and very um, singular. So, for example, in the 70s, she used to drive across country from New York and she had a CB radio and she would charm all the truck drivers and they called her Yankee Baby. Oh my and, um, and she would see hitchhikers on the side of the road and she would stop and she would pick them up, but only if they let her give them a haircut first. <laughs> you know, she sounds very, very much, just as you said, like either Victoria um, right. or like Tennessee. Absolutely. She really does. Yes. That was the other thing. Oh, you know, I think you're going to have to do your next book about your mother <laughs> or well, your family. She's she certainly, yeah, she's getting her own book. She is getting uh, yeah. her own book. I think, I think they need it. They think yeah. that you have a very interesting story. Well, let's get to the historical part and then we'll, you know, come full circle. Okay. So it takes place, it starts in 1868. I'm so glad that she's told us that um, $1 was worth $17. Right. Um, will be worth $17 in today's right. dollar. But so this whole family were, they were kind of carnies, as you said, they were spiritualists, but Victoria and Tennessee, they were obviously very beautiful and they yeah. called themselves free lovers. And I thought that was interesting because free love was such a big thing in the late 60s, early 70s. What did it actually mean then? And they seemed to use their sexuality as part of their spiritualism and their healing and also to get what they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. So um, about free love, there were two schools of thought on that. The free love movement started uh, years before Tennessee and Victoria arrived on the scene. And there were people who were into all kinds of alternate marriages and communal marriages and, and wife swapping and all kinds of stuff. But uh, what Victoria meant 
was that free love was a woman's right to say no to her husband. And that was considered so controversial um, because a woman's job was to absolutely to be there uh, at his beck and call and to also accommodate him sexually. And um, Victoria's um, argument was that, in fact, no, free love meant that a woman could decide when she would have sex. Mm -hmm. And that was and what was interesting about that is that really became a premise for part of the women's suffrage because uh, with Susan B. Anthony, that was what was fascinating is that all these people, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Harriet Beecher Stowe, they all lived at the same moment in time and all knew each other. Yeah, Uh, that was what was really remarkable, uh, remarkable about this. But Victoria, who was married, well, they were all married, I guess, right? They were all married. In one but sense or another, yeah. In one sense or another, exactly. But um, uh, Victoria goes on because she really decides that she is going to run for president yes. of the United States. And yes. um, But she, it's not like, uh, just give us a little background on that because Susan B. Anthony wasn't exactly thrilled with Victoria's platform. Right. When Susan um, B. Anthony first met them, she was very taken with Victoria. But um, as Victoria's uh, ambition, which is now the hot word of the day, as Victoria's ambition became apparent, uh, Susan Anthony did not like that because she felt that Victoria was taking the spotlight away from the issue of women's suffrage and putting it onto herself. Onto herself, right. Right. And so um, Susan became very, very angry about this. And also Elizabeth Cady Stanton was very taken with Victoria and they actually became friends. And um, Victoria caused a rift between Elizabeth and Susan for many years and they only patched it up uh, much later. But, you know, the story is so vast. I I couldn't get into all of that. But but basically, um, Susan wanted the suffragists to focus on the vote only, not on equal rights, not on sexual rights, not on, not on any of that, no sexual equality, none of that. She wanted just to focus on the vote. And right, was, but yeah, Victoria was just the opposite. She That's wanted right. equal rights for everything. women. She wanted everything. Everything. Whole, she wanted yeah. the whole, yeah. Uh, now that gets to uh, the, I, I mean, I'm just amazing how these people came from nothing, but I guess it's very similar to your mom, you know, came from yeah, kind of part of atmosphere. Of America, which is, that's, you know, that's also what makes it such an American story. Is it's, it's, it's an it's American story. And they, and um, Tennessee ends up, to be, well, I don't know, would you call her the mistress of Cornelius Vanderbilt? I mean, this is well documented. Right. Uh, but she went to him initially. They don't know how much, they don't really know to what extent they were physically involved. Um, but, you know. Wasn't well, she brought on to heal him this. originally? I mean, to heal, to heal him in some way. In some way. In some way, but yeah. it seemed like her healing usually ended up being right. of a sexual nature. The um, the allure that these women had over men <laughs> has to be really had to be really really uh, quite something, because yeah. um, now Hen- Henry Ward Beecher, 
yes. who was is considered, I mean, I see his quotes everywhere. Mirth yes. is God's medicine. Everyone ought to bathe in it. He was just definitely a two-faced or where he would preach one thing but lived another because he, you know, he would talk about the sanctity of marriage, but then he had all of these uh, parishioners that he was betting. Isn't that something? It's unbelievable. <laughs> and now that's a fact. Until I read your book and then I had to look it up, I really never realized that. And, of course, he was Harriet Beecher's brother. Yes. So how does that correlate? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the thing. So Harriet Beecher Stowe went on a very singular mission to discredit everything Victoria Woodhull said and and did. did. And, you know, you think, what on earth, why would she just go on this character assassination of her? What ha- what could have ha- possibly happened between these two women that would make Harriet Beecher Stowe livid at the mention of Victoria Woodhull's name? So I just, I just chose something, you know, a controversial practice that now we look at it with horror, this idea of female circumcision. Apparently it was practiced at that time. And I just threw it out there and saw if it would stick to the walls, as it were. And, um, you know, Harriet was a client at Dr. Taylor's. Dr. Taylor did do his, have his practice two blocks from where um, Victoria ended up renting a house and where James Gordon Bennett lived. So it was in a very chic little neighborhood. And I just, I just put them together one of those nights. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought it was enough that um, Harriet would make it her business to bring Victoria down. What do you feel? I mean, it's really amazing I, that she ran for president and she didn't get any electoral votes. Or Not was that it, we know of. Not it, that we yeah, know. I read one at one point that there might have been somebody from Texas who voted for her, but... Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows if it was true or not. Would these sisters um, be considered like sex therapists today? Would that be a comparison? No, I think they would be considered um, certainly badass. Yeah. Well, I they don't were, know they didn't that take they would be any sex BS, therapists. Right. The, the magnetic healing, the physical healing. I really don't know. And I don't know how much of that. You know, I, I did take a little bit of license with it because a lot of people, there were people who thought that they were prostitutes. Um, I don't, I think that they just decided to, they would yeah, do Yeah, it doesn't seem thing. to be any, I mean, there is some historical reference uh, there right, in right. some books, but it doesn't seem that there's really the evidence to say right. that they were prostitutes. Exactly. Uh, but she did think that Cornelius Vanderbilt might, marry her. And then when Cornelius died, the son actually paid them off to move to England right? because he didn't want him around. I guess he didn't want him to contest uh, anything. Cornelius's will. That's yeah, right. Cornelius's will, which was huge, obviously. Mm. But it seemed that until, at least in, you know, and I like the way you wrote it because it seemed like he d- respected her. I mean, and Cornelius. He, Cornelius. Yes. Yes, he liked them. He, genuinely. He, he was genuinely yes. fond of them. Yeah, he was fond of them. Now, what yeah. about Bennett? Was that a real relationship? Is that I have fab- no idea. fabricated? He arrived in, he arrived in my um, living room one day. I was yeah. looking through all different kinds of you know material, and I wasn't looking for him specifically. And he just showed up. I loved him. 
I loved him too. I yeah. fell in love with him. And he was such a jerk. And I just yeah. completely fell in love with him. Yeah. And I'm yeah. only only now getting over it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's how I start. I mean, I really like the way, you know, it's sort of you, the... the uh, the Victoria, I presume, you know, I mean, the or yes. Tennessee, I presume, you know, yeah. I, Mr. Bennett, I presume. I like the way that you have, um, you have focused all of it. I thought that was really, really quite, I don't know, it was charming. It was, it was very charming. So you actually ended up self-publishing this book. Yes. And it's, but you've done such a beautiful job of it. Tell us about your journey with writing. And I know conventional publishing these days is, is very tough and it's not what it used to be. Well, you know, I, I was pretty much consistently told, no, we, we don't, this is not for us. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And um, as as I moved through the process and I tried to make the book better, I, I went to a few conferences and I'd listened to what people were saying and I kept trying to make the book better and better and better because it was originally a huge book. It was like 700 pages originally. And um, That's hard to edit down to. <laughs> it really is. And it's still a big book. I mean, well, let me see. How many pages it, is no, it? No, it's, it's like normal. 300, it's, well, it's not yeah, that much. It's just a normal little book. Or but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's doable. It's doable, and it's a right. page turner. It keeps you interested. Thank you. Cynthia, what a nice thing to say. That's, that's, what, that's what we always hope, that people say, yes, yes. I kept turning the pages. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it was, it was, you know, it was historical, it was fun, and it also made me want to look back into history and say, okay, now, is this true, or... Is this right. what she's making up or is this, you know, how much is fact? How much is fiction? I, I like that part of it because it kept my interest. Yes. And it, it's go it's back to what she's talking about. Yes. Oh, well, the, the journey, the journey is that simply I just plowed forward and I immersed myself with every bit of information I could possibly find. And then um, I... I started moving forward. There's a woman named Eva Natiello. She's a writer. She is also self-published, and she's a coach on how to do this. I went to her. She was fantastic. Um, and then I found a formatter for the manuscript and a copy editor, and I worked with a developmental editor and really tried to make what looks and reads and, and is, in fact, a beautiful book. And and it and it seemed, it seemed to work out. And um, I... I, I have to say the publicity part, though, is so incredibly difficult that if anyone is thinking of doing this themselves, they should get on it at least six months before they press publish. Well, Definitely. and this is what you have to do even with a um, traditional publisher. I mean, right. the, the days of the traditional publishers doing, giving you a budget, because I'm tradition, I have eight books out there. Yeah, and, I, and, and uh, you know, in the beginning, when I first started, you got an advance, you were given a publicity budget, they actually booked you on tours. That's all gone, unless you are a, you know, somebody like Steven Spielberg, or, you know, <laughs> or, the, or Obama, you have to be so such a big, big, uh, a big name out yes. there. Yes. So, you know, I think the route that you did and taking it very carefully and hiring the people you needed to hire has resulted in an absolutely beautiful book. And it's exciting. It's very exciting. And now you have another one coming. You're going to follow this up. 
Yes, um, there's a sequel and it's about the girls' adventures in England because ultimately they marry incredibly wealthy men and they end up like, you know, gentlemen prefer blondes, you know, mm -hmm. they have diamonds and estates <laughs> and it's a happy ending, just like a romance novel <laughs> at the end of the day. So they, they, they deserve another book. They do Thank deserve you. another book. And we should let our listeners know that she ran for president in 1872, Victoria uh, Woodhall, and you really need to look it up because it's so fascinating how they went about it. Although their parents just sounded like horrific, terrible, horrible parents. And I was dying to ask you about the masked ball, but maybe we'll have to save that for another time because that sounded um, like it was just an invitation for very bad things to happen. Oh, yes. Much worse than Studio 54. Yes, I think completely. Well, <laughs> Carrie, this was a very fun interview. Um, congratulations on your book and congratulations on getting a, such a fun, um, such a fun reviews for it as Thank well, you. because nobody is going to be able to tell what's true or fiction. Pick up a copy of Naked Truth or Equality, The Forbidden Fruit. It's a novel by Carrie Hayes. You can find her website, CarrieHayes.com. Net. And of course, she's on Instagram and Goodreads and Facebook and um, BookBub. You can find her just about anywhere. Just Google it. So, Carrie, thank you so much for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And I wish you thank a lot you. of success. And I'm going to look forward to reading the sequel. Oh, bless you. Thanks, Cynthia. You are so welcome. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We'll be back in a bit with more info on our show. Again, the book Naked Truth or Equality, The Forbidden Fruit, a novel by Carrie Hayes, C-A-R-R-I-E-H-A-Y-E-S, CarrieHayes.net. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Be the star you Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. The best managers share one skill. They know what their most important responsibilities are. As a manager, it's critical to make a list of your business activities. Decide which ones you will personally be responsible for. Focus on those and then delegate the other tasks. Avoid being distracted by interesting other work problems that devour time but are, that are not truly valuable. To obtain desired behavior from your team, reward them. This is the most powerful rule, yet the most overlooked and ignored in companies. Don't put caps on performances or performance bonuses, or you're going to cap performances as well. Rewards don't have to be financial. Acknowledgements and thank yous in public situations are powerful reinforcers of desired behavior. The best managers make sure their team is appreciated and acknowledged regularly. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Cynthia Bryan, Bryan with an I, dot com. Be the star you are. The star you the annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. 
help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Dare to care. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business. Well, I'm so glad that you're here with us for Wednesdays with writers and performers. And I am really enjoying bringing these artists and authors and actors and other creatives to both Star Style and to Express Yourself uh, Teen Radio because all of these people, including myself, they've had all their events canceled, all their in-person things. And, you know, as an artist or a creative, it's really hard to make a living when you can't get out there and um, shake hands and sign books and do all of that. So this is what uh, Be The Star You Are and Star Style has been doing throughout COVID-19 to help our fellow authors and artists and actors, et cetera, and experts to bring them on the show and give them this opportunity to talk about their creative works. I really enjoyed Naked Truth or Equality of the Forbidden Fruit. This is a novel by Carrie Hayes. And uh, you really won't know what part is fiction and what part is is the truth until you cross-reference everything. But the first female to run for president, Victoria um, Woodhall in 1872. So, you know, not that long. I mean, 150 years, just about 140 some years. And, um, that was, it's pretty exciting. So check out her book, Naked Truth. Now the important thing to talk about is raising the next generation of investors. When I was a kid, I started, you know, I grew up on a farm, started working literally right away and we got a piggy bank and, um, I was able to put when I would work on our farm or on neighbors' farms and just would get like a penny for every um, for every uh, uh, stick that I would find, not find, but we would have these trays that we'd have to dry fruit. And so you'd have to put these pieces of wood in between the trays, these cleats, we would call them. And we would go and when they would be thrown on the ground, I would pick them up. I'd get a penny to put them back in a, you know, put them back in a pile. And that would go into a piggy bank. But when I was eight is when I first opened my first um, savings account because I started raising chickens and selling the eggs. So my parents very early on, even though they had no education, they started teaching their kids about personal finance and money management. So it's so important, I believe, that 
to teach your kids because unfortunately, I don't think our schools, I know I never had any training in money management or writing a check or, or um, balancing, you know, any kind of business while I was in school. So I think that we as parents and guardians, it's up to us to help our young people get an education in the fundamentals of independence, uh, financial independence, teach them how to budget and to invest and how to save. Uh, according to the Council for Economic Education, only 21 states require high school students to take any class in personal finance. And it seems that, especially in these days, it would be more important than ever before. So it really is just up to parents, I think, um, not to look at it as the schools, but to help their kids. So what can you do? So when a child is young, introduce them to the value of money. Now, a lot of parents give an allowance. I never got an allowance as a child, and I never gave an allowance as a parent because um, we felt that we're all part of a family unit, that everybody had to do chores to supply the family unit, but extra things you could earn money. So like when I worked on the farm, when I picked grapes or I picked walnuts or I cut peaches or any of that, then I was paid the exact same amount that any other worker was paid. And that I think is really important. Now, if you want to give your kids an allowance, that you might want to tie it to a chore so that you can teach responsibility and you teach them the value of the money and how to make choices for themselves. Because when kids are earning their own money and having to spend their own money, they are going to make different choices. I mean, it's so easy to say that, you know, I want those Nike shoes if your parents are paying for them. But if you have to save for it, you'll have a whole different idea. So emphasizing saving, your kids are going to want things that will exceed any money that they have, but you have to encourage them to save for it. So making saving a part of their routine and having them set aside a small portion, like 10% of every dollar they receive, um, including gifts and all that, for saving, that's going to really help them. What we did, what my parents did with us is they taught us that we had to give back. So we had to give a portion of anything that we earned back into church. When we go to church on Sunday, you'd have to put, you know, five cents or 10 cents or whatever it was. But it taught us that you it's very important. You save some, you get to spend some, and you have to give some to those who are less fortunate. And that to me was, was a very good lesson. And of course, um, now I have Be The Star You Are, so I really, I'm always giving back, but it taught me the importance of giving back. When my kids were young, instead of giving them an allowance, we had a point system for different chores. And the, those points, when you got to a certain number of points, you could buy different things. So for, it would be, maybe it would be a trip to Disneyland or it would be, um, our daughter was, um, a gymnast and she wanted a trampoline. But after we found out what the cost of a professional trampoline would be, we tied it into a certain number of points. And then when the kids earned that, we bought the trampoline. So that really showed them that they had to save, that they had to work hard. And investing is really an important thing. If you can 
give kids um, maybe open a um, a financial portfolio, you know, at one of these brokerage accounts and let them choose a stock. What both of my kids worked in um, modeling and acting when they were small, which actually was able to help pay for their college education. And uh, what we did is we opened a brokerage account for them and they got to choose what they wanted to invest in. So Disney, of course, was a big choice for my daughter, for my son who loved tractors. It was Caterpillar. And over the years, those uh, stocks did quite well. So if you do that for a kid, they're going to learn to watch how um, how money works and how the value of stocks go up and down. Now, when they're teenagers, I, you can always encourage them to get a job. As I told you, I started working very, very early and then never stopped working. Through my teenage years, I worked as a uh, farm worker. And then I also, um, I also was raising chickens and selling the eggs. And that is what was that ended up paying for my college education. Uh, our, my kids worked at hardware stores. They mowed lawns. They babysat. You know, I did all those kind of things as I didn't work at the hardware store, but I did babysit and clean houses and do all of those. So you want to um, you you want to encourage a summer job because that way they can save a portion of every paycheck and maybe even require them to help out with other expenses. It's really okay to expect kids to pay for their own gasoline and if they're going to the movies and maybe their clothes. I mean, I, I didn't need a lot until I started high school and had no clothes. And then I decided I needed to make my own clothes. So I needed to buy fabric. So that was up to me. Whenever we drove anywhere, we had to pay our gas. Um, credit is another thing you want to teach kids about having good credit. Now, these days you might need a credit card, but you have to have, make sure your kids are going to be responsible. So it's good to have a credit card just for emergencies. I mean, if you run out of gas or a tire blows or whatever, and then that way you can take care of it right away, but you have to let your kids know that whatever they put on the credit card, they're going to be responsible for paying back. And then when they get to college age, it becomes a little more challenging because so many credit card companies are targeting college age kids and they don't know that they're going to get this huge finance charge. So it's important to teach your kids that whatever they're going to put on credit, they have to have that money in the bank so that every month when that credit card comes, they can pay it off in full. You don't want to have a 20% interest on a credit card. That can get really crazy. Also, you want to show them how to open a Roth IRA. Once your kids have earned income, they can start contributing to an individual retirement account, an IRA. And a Roth IRA is probably great for young savers because Roths are funded with after-tax dollars and withdrawals in retirement are entirely tax-free. And of course, nobody when they're young thinks about retirement or getting old, but the kids are going to benefit decades of compound growth and tax-free income in retirement. And then when your kids are young adults, just help them learn how to set a budget. Because if you've never lived on your own, it's so easy to underestimate common expenses like groceries and utilities. I mean, those phone bills, you know, really do add up and you've got water and then now you've got your um, your internet and you've got the television and all of these streaming things. 
So just um, just work with your kids, and when they get their first real career job with employer benefits, let them know that you will help them look it all over and see if they're taking advantage of everything that is available to them. And there's always help out there if you don't have enough that you don't know um, you don't know what you know what else to help them with. So thanks for being great listeners. And this is our show for today's Wednesdays with writers and performers here on Star Style. Be the star you are. We will be with you every Wednesday live from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, and we're going to continue bringing you great guests. So tune in to Express Yourself on Sundays for Super Smart Sundays with our teens, 3 p.m. Pacific. For more information about uh, Star Style Productions or whatever I'm doing, visit CynthiaBryan.com. If you'd like to contribute to keep all of what we're doing on the air, especially during COVID-19, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org or the, just the initials, BTSYA.org, and consider making a tax-deductible donation. Our aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate We want you to cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week, because a book is like a garden in your pocket. And I really would think that you'll really enjoy Naked Truth, especially in this uh, year of elections and uh, this year that now we actually have a female who uh, is going to be running for vice president on the Democratic uh, ticket. So it's going to be an interesting year. And so much in Naked Truth by Carrie Hayes has to do with what's going on in today's day. So you'll get a good kick out of it. Plus, you'll get a history lesson that you're going to have to look up and make sure it really is history. So until we celebrate next week, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self and make it a wonderful week. And remember what I said at the top of the hour, please wear a mask, please social distance, please stay away from large gatherings, especially indoors. Take care of each other by by, um, washing your hands and staying COVID free. And if you are feeling ill, Stay home and do call your doctor because they will be able to give you a Zoom a Zoom meeting so that they can find out if you're okay or if you need to go get tested. And I hope that if you have to get tested, you don't have to go through what we did and wait so long for tests. I hope you'll get rapid testing. So um, pay attention to what's going on. Visit, visit the CDC gov for more information about the pandemic and then stay tuned here next week wednesdays with writers and performers right here on star style be the star you are coming to you live on the voice america network again i'm cynthia bryan thank you so much for joining me dream create inspire make a difference this week and make it the best week of your life ciao for now be the star you the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. 
It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.